Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing Elite Clubs National League, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky. This is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I love soccer, believe it or not. I love basketball just as much. Christian Labors, the CEO and president of ECNL, has made me a happy man as this week's ECNL podcast, Breaking the Line, will feature Grant Hill, two-time national champion at Duke, multiple All-American, on Dream Team 3, played in the NBA forever, still considered one of the all-time best, NBA analyst, college basketball analyst, and more importantly, Christian Labors, he's an ECNL dad. What's he bringing today to the show? You know what? He brought such a great perspective in talking about his background playing soccer, believe it or not, the impact that had on his basketball career, the perspective of one of the elite athletes in the world talking to his daughters about sport and what they should consider and what he looks out for for them, and, and then just looking back on all things leadership and team culture, building championship teams, a wonderful, wonderful discussion with a lot of variety. All right, it comes up after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean Linky. It is my pleasure to turn it over to the ECNL president and CEO, Christian Labors, who gets the first two sessions with the great Grant Hill. Take it away, Christian. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it, Grant. It's awesome to have you here with us. A real pleasure and a privilege. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us about everything we're going to touch on today, your career, soccer, basketball, and everything in between. I appreciate it, Christian. I'm an ECNL parent, but also a a huge soccer fan and a former soccer player many, many years ago. So I'm excited to be here with you today. So just a a little backstory. We were just down in Florida, obviously, for an ECNL event, and a good friend of ours, Hugh Menzies, the former Jamaican women's national team coach, said, hey, uh, Grant Hill's out helping out, helping make this event work, volunteering. First of all, thank you so much for doing that. I mean, there's thousands of parents around the country that help out their soccer clubs and, and these events. And so first of all, we appreciate your help and willingness just to put some sweat equity in to help and make our event in Florida a success. Oh, no, no, I appreciate that. It, it was funny. A year ago at that same event, my wife and I, we were field marshals. And so it was great to sort of watch these uh, young women play and all the, the, the coaches from the different schools, Division One, Two, II, and Three, there to, to watch and, and observe and, and, and ultimately recruit some of these young women. And so, you know, Field marshal was great. You know, you just kind of oversee things and make sure things are running smoothly and people are where they're supposed to be. And then we were late this year for sign up. So there was parking duty and bathroom duty. 
And, uh, and so my wife said, I'm not, I'm not doing parking or, or bathroom. And so I ended up signing up for the early shift. So I had to arrive at 6.30 in the morning and I was there till about 9.30. But it was, and it was funny, the parking lot where I was stationed was right by the porta potties. So it looked like <laughs> I was doing both bathroom and parking. And, uh, but it was fun. And, you know, it's always exciting to see the parents and the teams from all over the country and also some of the college coaches who were there in town and, couple times though parents were like are you Grant Hill you know they, I had my mask on but they still kind of could recognize me I think they were in shock and in disbelief that that I was working parking duty but I had fun it was good it's fun time and you say yes I am and please move on and park please stop slowing yeah. down this truck <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so you mentioned earlier you have a little background in soccer I think and before I ask you about that I'm gonna say rumor has it at one point you had the potential ability to do a soccer rainbow against the backboard and then try and dunk. I think I saw that somewhere. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that at you and let you talk a little bit about your soccer background. Yeah, well, the, the rumor is correct. So I grew up in the D.C. area and Northern Virginia back in the late 70s, early 80s was a hotbed for soccer. Um, used to go to the Diplomats games at RFK Stadium, played travel soccer, played for uh, the 1972 Flying Tigers and I grew up, I wanted to be Pele, you know, and as I got older and I realized the chance of me being Pele was not going to happen, I decided I wanted to be Dr. J, but I did play travel soccer. We, we won the state championship a number of times, not because of me, but because I was on a good team. I was left wing, left footed. We played at the Robbie in Canada, went to the Oakville tournament. I mean, we, we, we got around back in the day and I officially retired from soccer in 1986. That's when I went to high school. And it was really funny. The high school varsity coach, I started high school, I was young, I was 13. And the varsity coach brought me in before the basketball season. And he said, look, I, I've been watching you play and I think I wanna bring you up to varsity and play varsity. And the first thing I said was, well, the varsity season goes longer than the freshman season and it'll overlap with soccer in the spring. And so I don't wanna do it. And then, of course, he talked me into it, and I never played soccer again. Um, but I, I did know how to, I, I can definitely, I, don't, I can't do it now because my ankles are arthritic, but I could, you know, in the high school slam dunk contest, I used to stand at the free throw line and do a rainbow, and I would, you know, do it high enough off the glass and then go up and dunk it. And, uh, and so that was very unique, and I don't know if I've seen anyone do that since. But that was my claim to fame and the very, the very few uh, high school slam dunk contests that I, that I participated in. Well, I tell you, I've never heard of that before. I think if I tried that, I'd probably end up with some combination of a face plant and, a, uh, and some <laughs> other sort of fall down. But no, that's cool. It's unique to play two different sports and to do it and to learn things that help in one sport that may make you a, a more informed athlete or a better decision maker in another sport. Did you see that when you were... When you, I mean, obviously you, you left soccer in high school, but do you see how playing both helped you? Was there something that you connected the dots when you were playing basketball that you look back at soccer saying that made me a better basketball player? No question. No question. I mean, I think, you know, one, one of the things in soccer, you, you, you know, you're forced to, to, to see the, the field. You play soccer the right way. And I was fortunate. I had a, I had a really good coach, you know, you know during those, those travel soccer teams. 
but being able to see the floor, being able to make quick decisions, being able to anticipate where people may be, I think it really transferred and translated over uh, into basketball and, you know, just sort of taking that same sort of focus. Because, you know, basketball, there's fewer players and you can, you can have a tendency to just sort of see the basket and, and play by yourself, play in a silo, if you will. And, and certain players play that way. But, you know, I, I fancied myself as someone who was unselfish, who could see the floor, understood, who could anticipate things happening uh, before they happen. And I think a lot of that sort of foundationally came from, you know, sort of that grassroots at a very young age playing the game of soccer. I learned later on, I, I went into the Hall of Fame in, in 2018, and two of my really good friends, Jason Kidd, who, you know, we, we were in the same draft class, 1994. Uh, we were both rookies of the years together in, 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 in 1995, and we both retired within 24 hours of each other in 2013, you know, he grew up playing soccer. And then Steve Nash, who was my teammate, you know, he probably could have played professionally. He's that good. He played soccer as well. And I think we all ha had some similarities in terms of how we approached the game, how we saw the game, you know, how we were able to sort of facilitate, think the game on a holistic level. And, and I, I think soccer really, you know, really played a huge role in that. And so, you know, one of the fun things for me was I played and I kind of got away from it, you know, went into high school, college, NBA. And then when I went out to Phoenix, Steve Nash, who, you know, loves soccer, puts on a big soccer event every year in New York uh, in the summer. Uh, Leandro Barbosa, who was from Brazil, and obviously soccer is a huge sport there. We had a couple of guys who were into it. So we would juggle on the court together. And then, then our owner of the Phoenix Suns, Robert Sarver, he had two young boys or three boys who at the time were in elementary school and they were avid soccer players. And Robert had a big old house in Paradise Valley, like seven acres and had a soccer field in his backyard and with goals and everything. And so we would go over there in the off season and play soccer. And it would be seven of us on the team against, you know, 12 kids out there playing soccer barefoot. And so really that time in Phoenix got me, re, you know, reintroduced to the game and playing the game. I hadn't played in like, you know, forever. And, uh, and getting a chance to get back out there was, was a lot of fun. And there's definitely carryover from the game of soccer to basketball. And I think it really helped me see the game, feel the game, and be inclusive in the game you know, with the ball in my hands and, and, and being able to play with other guys. To go back a little bit, when you were negotiating, I'll use that word, when you were negotiating with your high school basketball coach about how you how the season ended so you could play soccer, right. um, you know, it sounds like that's not a guy who's saying, hey, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. That's a young kid who's playing a bunch of different things and trying to figure out life. When did you first decide that you wanted to be a pro athlete or when did you recognize that you might have the ability to play at the highest level? Because it sounds like at that point, you were loving everything. Yeah, I mean, really for me, I mean, my, my dad was a professional football player, played in the NFL for, for 12, 13 years. So I grew up around sports, always wanted to play football. He wouldn't let me play until I was in high school. So, you know, the plan was always, you know, when I got to high school, you know, I'd try to play football. My first sport, my first love was soccer. And, and that's what I played, you know, from the age of five. I picked up basketball you know, maybe a little bit later, I played AAU basketball right before high school. And we played in a, in a national tournament, you know, against other guys, Chris Weber, Jamal Mashburn, guys who went on and played in the NBA. 
We, we were all 13 years old at the time, and our team won the national championship. I was All-America. I thought I should have been MVP, but I was All-America for the tournament. My teammate got the MVP. But I think that experience really kind of just gave me confidence knowing that against the other best players in the country that I held my own and at times dominated. And so I think at that point, I, I realized, okay, I had a chance in basketball. I was good in soccer. I was on a really good team. I, I don't know if at that point, I if I felt like I was as good in soccer as I was in, I was in basketball. You know, I was left-footed. I was fast. It's pretty good with the ball. Obviously, on corner kicks, crosses, you know, I'm tall, so I could, you know, get, get the headers and all that. Terrible on penalty kicks. Um, <laughs> but I, I um, you know, I, I think then I kind of, you know, that was when the, the transition began. And then I was apprehensive about playing varsity, in part because I wanted to continue soccer. But also, I was 13. When I had this conversation with my coach, I was 13 years old. And the idea of, you know, of, of being around 16 and 17-year-olds was just foreign. I mean, this was 1986. And, you know, I, I wanted to play on the freshman team, who, by the way, ended up going and being undefeated that year without me. And so they were really good. But I played varsity. I, I started as a freshman. You know, I averaged 10, 11 points and then went back to the AAU tournament the next year. And we lost in the finals to the same team. But I was so dominant that I got the MVP. And so... I made sure I got the MVP. Um, but I mean, I think I think that period, like that 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 time frame, was when obviously playing basketball as a varsity player, playing in AAU prior to high school, it was like, well, I have a chance to maybe play in college. The pros, like that, wasn't even on the horizon. It was, you know, maybe I, I you know playing in college, going to Georgetown, you know, going to the ACC. Those were the things that I was sort of thinking about and dreaming about at that time. Of course, as I told you guys earlier, two-time national champion, multiple-time All-American, All-ACC Player of the Year at Duke. It's funny you mentioned your dad. My best friend is what I call a double D. He's a Dallas Cowboy fan and a Duke Blue Devil fan. So there's not a week goes by where he doesn't say, oh, yeah, well, Grant Hill, his dad played for the Cowboys, and he was awesome for sure, Grant. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, my dad played for the Cowboys. I was born in Dallas. Uh, we moved to D.C. when I was four years old. He played for the Redskins, and my parents still – Still, still reside there, but it was really difficult growing up in D.C. as a Cowboy fan. Um, <laughs> and, and my claim to fame was, you know, my, my parents were expecting uh, a girl, and obviously back then, you know, you, you weren't able to find out the, the sex of your of your of your unborn child, and so obviously I'm not a girl. And my dad, you know, we did they had all these girls' names picked out. So Roger Staubach, uh, who was a teammate of my father's, he he came by the, the hospital. And, and really, he named me. He, he was the one that came up with, with my name. And I'm named after my paternal grandmother's maiden name. And uh, her, her last name was Grant. And so uh, if it wasn't for Roger Staubach, I'd still be Baby Boy Hill uh, <laughs> years later. But that, that was why I was a Cowboy fan. Roger Staubach, who was still playing at the time for the Cowboys, he named me. So, you know, I've been a, a loyal, faithful Cowboy fan. It's been a rough stretch here. <laughs> But uh, definitely Duke and Dallas. That that's that. Those those are my allegiances. That's the combo. All right, we're gonna take a break. Baby Boy Hill went on to be one of the all-time greats in the NBA. He's one of the all-time great analysts as well. And guess what, folks? Grant Hill's on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Back with more after this. 
ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Grant Hill is here. Christian Labors is the president and CEO of ECNL. Christian, you're with Grant Hill. Take it away, my man. So much to talk about here. I'll fast forward now to the present. You know, as a father of young daughters and young athletes and considering, I mean, the lineage, your father playing in the NFL, you playing in the NBA, what matters most to you about the experience of your daughters in sports? Wow, that's a great question. So as you said, Bess, I, have, I felt the pressure of having a father who, you know, was a professional athlete. And, and obviously we were in different sports, but there was just an expectation that, you know, you were going to be good. And there were also people gunning for you uh, as well. And so, you know, I felt that, you know, I was able to, to obviously go on and have success, but I, I've never tried to put any pressure on my girls. And, um, you know, with you know, going and playing in college or playing professionally. I love that they have tried different sports. Well, one tried multiple sports. One is just strictly soccer. But I think for, for girls uh, who, who become young women, the experience of sports and the values um, that come from team sports, you know, there's so many life lessons that, that are applicable. And I experienced that. I mean, I, I experienced it, you know, in college and high school, uh, the ultimate level uh, in, in professional sports. And to me, that's what it's all about. And uh, learning how to, you know, handle success and, and, and manage failure and, you know, hard work, collective responsibility. I mean, you can go on and on about all these values. And, you know, you learn things in the classroom, which are so important, but those type of interactions, those life lessons that, that sport and particularly soccer teach you, I think goes with you. And, you know, I get it. Every parent thinks their child is the next Alex Morgan. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you, you see that and, and you obviously want your child and you, you know, you, you, you dream about your, your child going on and having success. But sometimes you have to sort of, you know, take a step back and, and you know, understand what's really important. And, you know, a lot can and will happen. I understand with, with young athletes and the environment's very different than when I was coming of age. And I also learned with girls, girl, you know, like I had a, my daughter, my 19 year old who's in college now. You know, she she was on the path for basketball and she started playing basketball in seventh grade, uh, played in high school, was was on a team that was nationally ranked. And then right before her senior year, she decided she didn't want to play anymore. And she was being recruited by some Division two schools uh, and it just wasn't in her heart. 
And so, uh, and we knew that, and we, we, we kind of, we weren't surprised by that decision, but we are glad that she got that experience. You know, she was able to learn from playing soccer, playing softball when she was young, playing on the golf team in middle school, playing basketball, all of that, I, I really believe is invaluable. And now with us, you know, my wife's a recording artist, you know, she's a, an R&B singer and has her own career. And so the last thing we want to do is make them feel like they have to be a pro or be a, you know, an elite soccer player for us to be happy and fulfilled with what they do. We love everything that they do, good and bad, but we're always mindful. Our, our youngest one is, 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 is pretty talented. She has a chance. Um, I mean, she's 13. She's on, you know, she's 14 and under. She's in seventh grade. She's really passionate now. Like she's, she was really, really good. And she, you know, she's athletic. She's strong. She's skilled. And I always was like, well, you know, at some point she made, you know, she made a side. She doesn't want to do it anymore, you know? So I don't put pressure on her or anything like that. But I say within the last six months, like it's really become something like that she's really passionate about. And she's, Hey dad, let's go train. And I'm like, you know, I'm going online, looking up drills on YouTube and trying to throw different things at her. And, but I never want to pressure her. Like that's got to come from within. Like you got to want it. You know, you got to be passionate about it. No one had to tell me to go play basketball. My mom used to tell me, Grant, stop dribbling the ball in the house, you know, or stop banging against the wall and start, or stop juggling in my kitchen, you know? And, 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 you know, and so my wife, who's a singer, no one had to tell her to work on her craft. And so, you know, with kids, they, they have to want it, not the parents wanting it more than them. But it's interesting because my daughter now is starting to dribble the ball in the house and juggle and, you know, kick the ball against the refrigerator. And now we're yelling at her. And so you can see that it's really blossoming and it's kind of fun to watch. That's a wonderful perspective. And it's, and it's a really important one. Do you think sports during the last six months, sport during COVID, has had any impact on that? I mean, with so much else changing, did the constancy or, or the presence of sport and soccer play a role in that at all? Or, or what role did sport play for her the last six months? It may have played a role. I mean, I think we, you know, we, I think we all sort of, you know, particularly for, you know, girls who are sort of at that, you know, middle school age, which can be tricky at times. You know, I think, I think for them as they're sort of, you know, finding their independence and sort of transitioning from, you know, from, you know, in, into becoming an adolescent. It, it's been tough this, this whole past year, almost a year, and everything coming to a halt, uh, not being able to sort of, you know, at least early on in COVID, you know, socially interact in person. Uh, everybody's online and digital and Snapchat and whatever, all the, the different social media platforms. But, you know, I think sports gives you a sense of belonging and gives you a sense of community. And I think kids at that age really desire that. And I think socially things have been, you know, things have been impacted. And so I think sports gives you, it gives you the, the, the socialization, but also gives you, a, you know, sort of that sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself. So I think for her, I think it's one sort of to help pass the time, you know, get, it's to, to entertain yourself. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here looking outside and I remember just, you know, back in, April and May and, you know, and, and back in, you know, June, like just her out juggling and, you know, working on trying to do a rainbow and, you know, sitting, you know, sitting, kicking the ball against the wall, you know, all like to me, that's when, when you're, when you're willing to sort of, you know, put the time in like that, 
not not training necessarily, not where you're going and working with a coach, but you're just by yourself using your imagination. Like, I think that's important. And I think that tells me, okay, like she really loves this. She really likes this. And, you know, I, I remember, and I'm just, you know, sort of using my own frame, my own experience as a frame of reference, getting the ball and just dribbling in the street and using my imagination, like spending time by yourself working at your craft because you love it. Like that, that's something you can't make that either you have it or you don't. And so, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a natural sort of progression for her or if sort of everything else coming to a halt, really soccer became her safe haven and really became her friend. And that really kind of helped spark, you know, light a spark. But regardless, it's fun. It's fun to watch and it keeps them busy. You know, it's like they're focused. They know they got to train and, and work and, and be ready for practice or be ready for the games and and so, you know, keeping them busy as a parent is, is also a good thing as well. I got three boys aged three, two, and one. So I'm in the survival mode of keeping them busy as well right now. You're, you're in the trenches. <laughs> Looking a little bit back now to your career, I mean, you played for so many different coaches from college to the dream team to multiple NBA places. What qualities stood out to you that made the best coaches effective and do you have any moments where a conversation with a coach or a relationship with a coach really changed your career or changed your perspective on something? You get to a certain level of success. And obviously there, there are people who, who've been there to help you and support you and guide you along the way. And I've been fortunate to have, you know, great coaches. My high school coach, Wendell Bird, really kind of pushed me along and, and was pretty innovative um, in terms of allowing me as a big guy to play point guard and do some things that at the time, you know, most big guys weren't really, you know, weren't expected or asked to do. And so that really helped develop, I think, sort of my all around game, if you will. Uh, obviously in college, you know, I played for legendary coach Mike Krzyzewski. And I think as a coach, he, he's a, he's a tremendous leader. And you know, I like to say he's a leader, a tremendous leader who happens to coach basketball. I think a couple of things that, that have come from my experience and, and, and probably I appreciate more so now as I reflect, um, looking back, being a little older, a little wiser. But, you know, coach is a, is a relationship coach. You know, he, he takes the time to sort of understand, you know, his players. And which is a little tricky now because in, in college basketball, a lot of one and done players. So it's more of a revolving door, but it's not a cookie cutter approach, you know, that he applies. Like it's, it's really understanding the personalities of each player, how to motivate, how to inspire, how to teach, how to get the message across. So much of it is there's a, there's a tactical side to coaching and that goes for any sport. Like you, you can understand strategy, but if you don't have belief, if you don't have people who believe in you and believe in your vision and believe in your strategy, then, you know, that it, 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 it won't work. And so being able to, 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 I guess, to sell, you know, to sell athletes on what you believe is best for the team and for them is so important. And that's his strong point. And being able to understand, you know, each individual and then how to sort of communicate to them what's necessary for success. Actually, you know, and, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, at X and O's and strategy, like that's not really his strong point. His strong point is getting a group to come together as one. 
And when you have that, and, and you combine, you know, you combine, um, you know, obviously talent and skill and all the other, like now you have some, when the sum of the parts are greater than the whole, then you have something special. And being able to foster that kind of environment, that kind of sense of uh, brotherhood, and in, in, in our case, sisterhood in women's sports, where everyone's looking, you know, one of the things that was really important was communication. And, you know, I was a quiet, cerebral kind of player. I didn't speak. I was kind of to myself. I was kind of shy, a little bit awkward, maybe because I started, you know, I was so young, you know, so every year in school, I was always the youngest in class. So, you know, I was a little socially awkward. And so one of the things he, he stressed, and he would kick you out of practice if you didn't do, was you had to talk. And what talking does, it obviously keeps everybody connected. You know, it empowers your teammates. It's intimidating when you go out there on the court or on the pitch and you see a team that you're playing against and they're talking. And like, it, it's, it's incredible. It also keeps you out of your own funk. It keeps you out of your own head. So much of sports is up here. When you get in the zone and you can be in the zone in any sport, it's when you're so present. And a lot of times you're thinking about what just happened. Oh, so-and-so didn't pass me the ball or, you know, the coach doesn't like me or, you know, the ref just missed that call or, oh, I, I know I'm going to come out this, you know, the end of the first quarter or, you know, you know, so, you know, whatever. You, you start thinking about what just happened or what might happen. But talking forces you to stay present. It forces you to stay in the moment. And that's one of the things that he really emphasized and really hit on was talk. And if you went to a practice, it would sound like they're over talking. It would sound like, whoa, what's going on here? But it was creating habits like every day. Yes, we're going to compete. We're going to play hard. We're going to, you know, we're going to uh, master the fundamentals, but we are going to talk like that is a, you know, a, a definite. And, and to me, it becomes, it, 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 it becomes part of what makes you successful. And what I learned is as you went on, as I went on into the NBA, and, and unfortunately, I didn't have the, the, the championship success in the NBA that I had in college. Uh, I played on some, some, some really good teams, though. But if you notice the good teams, like the really good teams, they, they communicated. They talked. They were insane. They might not have always liked each other. <laughs> you know, you can, you can go down to history and look at teams in basketball, but they were together. And, and so one of the things I always try to impress upon my daughters is just like talk just when you're out there on the field, because it gets you out of your own head. And it's a selfless thing to do. Not talking is selfish. Talking, you're giving to the group. I know sometimes, like, I feel like I'm like my dad. My dad would, would give me basketball advice from a football player's perspective. And sometimes I'm scratching my head, like, that doesn't make any sense. And so it's maybe sometimes my daughter is looking at me like, you're a basketball player, you don't know anything about soccer. But I, I do think communication is, is huge for so many reasons, a few of which I mentioned. You know, I like the phrase, the mouth is window to the mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you can't talk unless you're present. No and question. when you're not talking, your mind is either past or future a lot. Another thing that jumped to me, I think, was Vince Lombardi, who said that, to your point about tactics, at the highest level, everybody's pretty good as a coach at tactics. That's not going to separate you. 
It's going to be man management. It's going to be motivation, whatever personal relationships. That's really, really interesting to hear. One more question for you. We could go on forever, as you know, but we'll respect your time here. But you're currently working on NBA TV. You're an owner of the, the Atlanta Hawks. How do you look at sport differently now from the perspective of a broadcaster or an owner compared to being a player? Did something change in the in the lens when you when you watch basketball now or watch any other sport with this different perspective? Yes. I mean, I think, first of all, I, I love now that I can continue working in sports. And I have many roles and responsibilities in sport and giving back to the sport, being around the sport. You mentioned, you know, ownership, that perspective. You know, now, you know, sort of the being a steward of that franchise and, you know, running the business side, but also the basketball, providing oversight, strategic direction, vision, hiring good people, that role, that perspective. Then in television, you know, now you're sort of an analyst. So you're seeing the game and, 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 and giving back to the game in a way that's fun. It's, it's edifying. It's, it's, it's a natural sort of progression from playing in a lot of ways. I'm also on the board, I'm a board of governors of the NCAA, which, you know, as we look at intercollegiate athletics across the board, you know, now having sort of that fiduciary responsibility to help the NCAA as it's attempting to evolve, I do see things differently now. I think, I think first of all, my experience helps me see from a different perspective. Not everybody necessarily who's an owner. Yeah, you know, not everybody understands sort of the perspective of an athlete. Uh, but then when you get on the other side, <laughs> you know, and, and now you, you, you can kind of look back at what it's like to be a student athlete, what it's like to be a professional professional athlete. You see things differently. And so it's been great. Like I've really enjoyed continuing to work uh, in sport in a number of different ways. And I'm just, it just helps me to continue to grow, have a healthy respect and an appreciation for, you know, all the sort of moving parts that, that allow these athletes to go out and perfect their sports. But I also know it's a, it's a huge responsibility and something that I, I don't take lightly and something that I'm uh, grateful for the opportunity to work in. We're here with Grant Hill. We're going to take one more break and come back. Grant promised a little basketball talk, so I'm all in as well. Grant Hill, right after this. This is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm your host, Dean Linky. Christian Labor is the president and CEO of the ECNL. He has booked a big timer, Grant Hill, a college legend, an NBA legend, and now I think one of the best analysts in the game as well. So Grant, I want to start with that because you have been featured prominently in college basketball and featured prominently in NBA. Is there one or the other that you like to analyze better? You know, it's a great question. I mean, I, I love them both. The NBA, you know, for, for, for us, for me, I get to helicopter in into college basketball at the, the best time of the year, March Madness. And so, so, you know, it's a nice little departure from, you know, the everyday grind of the NBA. 
to sort of helicopter in right during March Madness, work with Jim Nance, Bill Raftery, call the NCAA tournament, and of course, the Final Four. So I fell in love with basketball watching the Final Four. 1982 Final Four, when Michael Jordan hit the shot against Georgetown uh, as a freshman and really propelled his career. That's when I fell in love and first started getting interested in basketball. And so to still now work around the Final Four and like, it, it's just, I don't want to disrespect the NBA because I am an owner in the NBA, but the, the college tournament is certainly a lot of fun and um, something I really, truly enjoy. One of the biggest moments in, in the college tournament was your pass to Christian Leitner. How many times have you been asked that question and where does that rate with all-time great moments? Yeah, incredible moment. It's something we get to relive every year in March. And, you know, it's funny. Every time I see it, I still get nervous. Like, I don't know the result. Like, that, that's what's crazy. But just a, an iconic moment that I'm grateful that I played a, you know, a part in. And I'm grateful Christian caught it and made the shot. <laughs> I'm even more grateful for that. The only thing I'm not grateful for is, you know, my bad haircut, you know. And so <laughs> it, just, it, it just pays to not be too trendy when you're young. You know, you'll, you'll regret it later in life. <laughs> on that on that play, that's my one basketball question, Dean. Apparently, that was not an improvised moment. You guys had practiced that or you had planned for that. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, two points on that that are really important and I think speak to the greatness of Coach K. First of all, we worked on the baseball pass every day in practice. We didn't work on that specific play, but every day everyone had to make a couple of baseball passes as part of our warmups. So it wasn't like we've never made that pass. It's part of our, you know, core values in a way. And, um, you know, in that moment, I guess coach knew that I was probably the most accurate from, from all the passes we've made in practice. I used to joke that, you know, I would have been a quarterback and it was in the genes. And so, um, and so, you know, that's the first thing, you know, having that foundation, having those fundamentals that you work on. And then two, in that moment, we're down one, it's 2.5 seconds left. We're coming to the huddle. Beautiful leadership from Coach K. In that moment, instead of telling me, Grant, you make the pass, he asked me, Grant, can you make the pass the full length of the court? And I said, yes. And so in asking me that and getting me to answer, like I'm taking ownership. I'm saying I'm going to do it. I got it. You know, and of course he goes to Christian and says, can you, can you make the shot? And Christian says, if Grant makes the pass, I'll make the shot. And uh, that was typical Christian Leitner. And so that, that was pretty much it. But I, I do believe in how he approached that situation. It felt like Sean Woods hits the shot. I'm thinking as I'm walking to the, to, the, to the huddle, I guess it's over. I'll be in Myrtle Beach next week, you know, with all my classmates for Beach Week. I won't be at the Final Four. And so that was what was going through my mind. Like, oh, I guess I'll go to Myrtle Beach. And in that moment, hey, Grant, can you make that pass? And I said, I could. And, and Christian said, he'll make this. And like, literally that act, like we walked out of that. I felt like we're going to win. And, and so sometimes in those moments, you know, being able to get your athletes to say that they're going to do something is, is really empowering. See, Grant, anytime you hook up with a Christian at any level, it's going to be big time, including today. <laughs> I've just got three more quick ones for you, and we'll let you go. In the ECNL and in the women's college game, there's a lot of injuries. During your career, you had some major injuries that you were able to overcome. Have you talked to your kids about injuries and how to deal with that? It's a great question. And, you know, it, it, it's 
it's finding some balance, you know, and, and my daughter who, you know, my, my wife, who's, you know, we've been playing ECNL now for three years. And my wife is like, well, she should be training. She should be doing this. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, she's, she's 10. Like, let, let's, let's let her have some balance here and let her have some fun. But, you know, I, I think now that she's becoming more passionate about it, you know, just trying to mix it up, you know, and, and I'm very cognizant of that. I'm very much aware. I don't want to, you know, hinder her development. I don't want to, but I don't want to push her. And, uh, and so like, I'll give you an example. Like tonight we're starting conditioning, you know, and, 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 you know, for her first practice. And she was asking me yesterday, like, dad, can we go do something before, you know, before practice? And I said, well, I said, you know, I, you played indoor on Saturday. You know, your coach says that you're in pretty good shape. You've been training during the off season. Maybe we should not do anything on, on you know, tonight. Maybe we should just, cause you're going to go hard today. You're going to go hard tomorrow. And so just, you know, always aware of that. And, you know, I don't want to project my stuff on her, but I just want her to be smart about it. And, and for the most part, she is. And there's a certain amount necessary to be able to play at a high level. But, you know, you don't want to do too much. And uh, and so, you know, as she continues on, we'll just continue to monitor that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the, you know, I come from the, you know, from the background or the, the philosophy of less is more. And uh, you're going to get enough in practice. And, uh, and enough in your games. And so as long as you have a baseline going in, then, you know, you should be fine. But she's had every injury. You can, I mean, she's, you know, her, she's played with a cast with a soft bubble and, you know, she's hurt her foot. I mean, she, she's definitely a hill. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so, you know, her thumb, I mean, you know, she, she's, she's a physical player. And so, um, but that's part, of, that's part of the game. All right, we got you on. We got to ask you this. So we've got three greats in a room, Grant Hill, LeBron James, and Michael Jordan. Who's the greatest of all time, Grant Hill? Who's the greatest? Well, aside from myself, um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think I think they're both. I mean, I, I just, you can go either way. I, I probably would go with Michael, you know, but I mean, certainly there, there's something you can't go wrong, you know, but I, I think Michael's just a little bit a notch above and there's no disrespect or slight towards LeBron because he's absolutely incredible. But, you know, Michael Jordan, what he did, his impact, uh, his dominance, I mean, it's just incredible. And, and, I, and I had a chance to, to watch and witness and play with, you know, against both of them. And so I have, a, you know, a, a definitely a great perspective, but I'm going with MJ. Even though he went to Carolina, I got to go with Jordan. <laughs> all right, well, let's end with this. You mentioned all of these great NBAers that are great soccer players. I can't remember if you mentioned the late, great Kobe Bryant, but he was pretty legit as well. He was a heck of a soccer player and loved the game. He did. You know, I mean, Kobe, uh, having grown up in, in, in Italy um, during his formative years, was introduced to the game. And obviously soccer so big over there. And so, you know, he loved it. He was a fan of it. You, you, you have pictures and images of him, you know, going over and interacting with soccer players, juggling. You know, I never really talked to Kobe about about his love of soccer, but I would imagine that, you know, it, it played a role in his development. So sad, um, you know, you know, the, you know, about a year ago, almost a year ago, uh, of his uh, his untimely death. And uh, but for someone who, who who didn't, you know, obviously, you know, live a, an entire life. Um, or live to old age, really was able to accomplish a lot and impact people with his excellence. And so his legacy will certainly live on forever.
Perfect, Grant. These final 30 seconds, so many people look up to you for inspiration and it doesn't have anything to do with basketball. Even your own kids look up to you. We've gone through this pandemic. There's social injustice. Hopefully the political climate will get better. But what are your words of inspiration for young kids that uh, might be watching today about uh, overcoming adversity? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, adversity, unfortunately, is a part of life. You know, I think, once again, the values from sport, we can take soccer. You know, the beautiful thing in sport is that it brings people together. You know, we can be fans. We can have different, we can have different ethnicities. We can have different beliefs, political ideologies. You know, we can have different, you know, religious beliefs, but we can both be fans of a team. And so sports can bring people together and also on the pitch, you know, people, different backgrounds, you know, different experiences, uh, but you come together and you form a team and, 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 and you can learn about other people through sport and being teammates. And so, uh, I feel like we're, we're creating leaders of the future. And I think the role of sport and the role of soccer, regardless if, you know, kids go on to become the next Mia Hamm or what have you, you know, have a chance to really learn from those values and be leaders uh, in the midst of, you know, some challenging times that we're going through right now. I'm going to leave it with that, Christian Lavers. He ended by saying on the pitch, not on the basketball court. He said on the pitch. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Hey, Grant, we really appreciate your time. This was a fabulous conversation, man. So enlightening, so much good perspective. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and appreciate you being an, an ECNL dad as well. Oh, well, thank you both. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you guys at the, in the parking garage, in the parking lot at the next <laughs> ECNL showcase. Amen to that. The great Grant Hill. This has been Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast with one of the great all times ever, Grant Hill. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.